Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Aviva Rumani, and welcome to episode 22 of KindredCast, Lion Tree's bi-weekly podcast featuring insights and stories from dealmakers and thought leaders in the world of tech, media, and everything in between. On today's show, Lion Tree Executive-in-Residence Betsy Morgan and our CEO, Arya Borkoff, along with a very special guest, his daughter, Olivia, sit down with Barstool Sports CEO, Erica Nardini. Erica joined the trailblazing and sometimes controversial sports and lifestyle media company in July of 2016. They've been in the news quite a bit recently, and Erica pulls no punches in this riveting interview. I hope you enjoy. Hi there, it's Arie, along with Betsy Morgan, and a special guest who we'll introduce momentarily. And we're here with our great friend, Erica Nardini. Erica, thank you so much for being featured on KindredCast. Also, great offices here. <laughs> and for those listening, we're in the special Barstool podcast recording studio in downtown New York. Erica is a friend of the firm and became the first CEO of Barstool over a year and a half ago. After a successful media marketing and sales career at companies like AOL, where she was the chief marketing officer, Yahoo, and Microsoft. For those listeners not familiar with Barstool Sports, the company is a satirical sports, entertainment, and lifestyle blog founded by Dave Portnoy. Those yeah. three plays, that's all the Patriots needed. That pass to Danny reminded me of that, was it the Mario Manningham catch in the Super Bowl? Yeah. That Eli just dropped in that bucket. That was a perfect pass. You These, can't throw any they better. They stopped there, like, they got everything. It, there were probably eight times in that game where I just, I knew what was going to happen. I just, I've seen this story before. I know how this movie ends, and you can't make any sort of mistakes against them because they'll capitalize on well, them. Well, uh, more than anything, like the Patriots. I hate them so much. They have, the mental toughness they have is just insane they just they are a mentally tougher team than every other team they play two years ago our friends at the churning group acquired a minority stake and the company moved their headquarters from boston to new york city barstool has grown impressively and expanding its audience across various channels and brands since inception and it certainly has continued an anti-establishment type of vibe we will get into that erica you and the barstool team have had an impressive 2017 you have grown in the audience you have skyrocketed revenue, including licensing, advertising, and merchandising sales. And you now have a regular show on Sirius Satellite Radio, and you've completed a special on Comedy Central. You had a highly successful tour last fall on college campuses. Your social following is way up across the board, and you've made investments in the live entertainment space. But the company's year of success has not been without its controversial moments and challenges. And I really wanted to get into how you build a media company around a controversial set of content and topics, how you create a workplace environment for anyone to feel comfortable in at the same time, and also how to be a leader and an example beyond the walls of Barstool Sports to generations of people. And I'm very interested in that. I'm so interested that I brought my daughter, Olivia, who's here, who's my oldest daughter, who's 16 years old and a junior in high school. Welcome, Olivia. Hi. Uh, this is her first podcast, and I wanted her to learn from you and to also be able to ask questions about how you're doing it. So thank you very much for being patient through that long introduction, and thanks for doing this podcast with us. Thank you for having me. We're glad to have you here. It's great to be here. Tell us why you took the job. I took the job because, one, I felt that I saw something that was undeniable in Barstool and that no one else saw. And what I saw was how big this thing could be. And what I also saw was a really brilliant creator who had a tremendous work ethic and defied all odds in getting Barstool to where it was a year and a half ago or two years ago. 
And the third thing I saw was a set of problems that I knew exactly how to fix. Betsy is the reason that Dave and I know each other. And frankly, the reason I'm here, one of the things that was most special in our original meetings when we met in a coffee shop in the Lower West Side or in the West Village, and Dave and I clicked immediately because what I saw personally was two people who believed in creativity and who loved content and were hungry to prove something. And we both loved the commerce business. I was trying to build a business in the music space at that time. And I had a ton of respect for who Dave was. I wasn't sure who I was going to get in that first meeting, if I was getting El Prez or a character or the guy who ran for mayor of Boston. And what I found was someone who was really humble and who had built something and knew exactly who his audience was and what he had to say, but needed a set of tools that he hadn't experienced before. He needed someone from a different place on the Internet to help build something. And most of all, I saw someone who wanted a partner. And the two of you together have been unafraid, absolutely unafraid. Yeah, we're unafraid. What's been easy about the job? Everything and nothing is easy (laughs) about the job. Barstool is very authentic, and I feel so grateful here because I don't spend my time doing the things that I used to hate about every other big place that I worked. (laughs) There's no bullshit. Everything is very blunt. It's very fast. It's very quick. All we care about is our audience and what we have to say and how we say it. What I find in most companies on the internet is that something got lost or in the way of the piece of content and the person it was intended for. And for us, that distance is very short. Dave and I are completely aligned in keeping it very short. So the things that are easy One, they're easy because I really love it here, and I really love the people here, and I think we have a great culture to your intro, REA. And it's also easy because it's very obvious what we should do. I mean, it comes across clearly that you have content that speaks to your audience, okay? Mm -hmm. Establishing that, as you mentioned, in a very surgical and pristine way is very hard to do. Mm -hmm. I use the word pristine in the sense of it's a clear connection. At the same time, that's a great business model. It also creates a need for attention as a CEO to make sure that you have the normal corporate controls that sure. any company that scales up yep, needs, needs to embrace, right? Mm-hmm. So so how are you balancing that? Because in your case, all the things that give you a great engagement level with your audience are also the things that could create controversy sure. around the business environment sure. and the culture you could yep. create. So how do you bring that tension together? Yeah. I mean, when I got to Barstool, no one lived in New York except Dave and two other guys. There was no office. There was no P&L. There was no email. There was nothing. One of the things that I saw in seeing Barstool was the chance to build a company on top of a 15-year reality show, or at that point, a 12-year reality show, whatever. And I loved that. And the chance to build a company at this point in the trajectory of Barstool meant I didn't have any legacy. I had nothing that I had to break or inertia that I would have to change. So I feel that we are very principled. We have a durable culture in that all of the founding team is still here, which I think is really important and very rare in a startup. The second piece is... We think about talent all the time, whether it's creative talent or business talent. And I spend a vast majority of my time on talent and people who can work within this system and make this system better. 
and people who can't work in this system. And it's very obvious and fairly instantaneous when we bring people in if they work and if they don't work. What we've proven in the last year is that we're very good at prototyping. So we experiment all the time. And our challenge now is to be able to execute sustainably. So we run a company in a very disciplined way with people who have incredible work ethic. This office, it looks trashed, not because there's people goofing around. It's just because literally seven days a week, 24 hours a day, there's usually someone here working. You're always here. We're always here. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a big social norm in our company. And then the second piece is we've gone from, I don't know, 16 people to nearly 80 people and a bunch of interns beyond that. So we've also built people and built structure, but we've built structure for a company in 2017 and 2018 and the things that I believe a company should be doing. Does that answer your question? Yeah. So in a lot of ways, the structure and processes that you brought to the table that the company didn't have before, you probably learned a lot of that and had a lot of those experiences in your previous mm-hmm. job. So mm-hmm. in many ways, was it helpful that you had worked at AOL yeah, or Microsoft or Demand Media, not because you were trying to turn Barstool into that, but because you had seen bigger companies, how they behaved at scale? Yeah, I understand scale. I understand go-to-market. I understand how you make a machine, how to build a machine. Great businesses on the internet are machines. And I've come from portal machines, which was, Mm -hmm. you know, Yahoo and Microsoft. Demand media was a search machine. And that's why I went there. The portal era was exciting and powerful just because you had a fire hose and the fire hose went to one place and you had to learn how to manage the fire hose. Demand was fascinating because there was zero fire hose and the consumer was completely in control of your distribution. So I learned how to build a company there. And then AOL was all video. And AOL was almost the inverse challenge. Tim had acquired a ton of companies and a ton of brands that when I got to AOL, were all going to market separately. So they were not infighting, but they were fragmented. And so tucking a company back into itself and going to market around a product, which is video. And, you know, I think that turned out exceptionally well and huge credit to Tim on that. But all of those things coming into Barstool, I'd made a ton of mistakes. I had gotten a bunch of things right Mm -hmm. and were able to apply it to something where nothing existed. Take us through the strategy of Barstool. So what does your audience look like? What has Dave told you about what he wants the company to be and look like? Are you happy with the current content that you produce? How's the growth? I mentioned before that it's growing at a phenomenal rate. Mm-hmm. Do you have the right strategy today? What is the strategy and how are you evolving it? Yeah, so in my opinion, Barstool is really two different types of companies in one, which is one, we're a media company, which, you know, are, you know, we should talk about what is a media company and the perception of a media company. And then the second thing is we're a lifestyle brand. And we make content, whether it's social content, whether it's audio content, radio or podcast, video content and written content and experiential content for really 18 to 34-year-old males. Now, that's not to say our audience is only male. When you looked at, we launched our first show with Snapchat last fall. It was 50-50, men and women. But we make content. We build brands. We are an IP company that are distributed via social, that manifest in multiple mediums simultaneously. And we understand our strategy is to connect content and commerce or to create content that can transact. And I think we do so exceptionally well. So that is our strategy. 
We want to grow the brands we've developed. We want to bring in new talent and create new brands that will connect with audiences we don't have. And we want to be able to maintain and grow the connection and the preference that we have with the audiences we engage. So Olivia is a great example where she might follow us on Instagram and follows Barstool or Fifth Year or one of our brands. And she has a perception of us and an engagement of us. Very different from someone who listens to Pardon My Take three times a week. The connection between those is we are always authentic. We're very fast and we connect every single thing that we do with a ton of conversation around it with our audience at the same level as our audience. So we will continue to build on that foundation. We will get into businesses that we have not been in before. Rough and Rowdy is a great example of that, which is we've done two pay-per-views. We believe that a pay-per-view platform around amateur boxing could be something very electric for our existing audience and also to attract new audiences. So we will build that. You'll see us build commerce brands. You'll see us bring big personalities into this platform and to create basically a very diverse revenue stack around them that enables that brand or that person to be as connected to their consumer as possible and as real. And do you feel like learning about when you said we're a machine, right? And how do we learn to be a machine? That learning about something like the subscription business, you can learn about that through the success that you'll have with Rough and Rowdy and then take that to other parts of the business? Yeah, like it's no secret we're building a subscription membership platform right now. And what Dave and I believe very strongly is that we're not going to take things that were free for our audience. If you look at NBC or EPL, like taking something that has been free and turning it into something that has a paywall is very difficult. We don't want to do that. We will not do that. What we will do are build products and services for audiences that are worth their investment, that they feel that they're getting great value. So Rough and Rowdy is a great example. We did our first, Dave had been once before, and we did, since I've been at Barstool, we had Rough and Rowdy pay-per-view event in March. I think we charged $7.99. And it was four hours of, in my opinion, some of the best content I've ever seen out of Dave and ever seen out of Barstool. It was electric. And the UFC had a big fight the next night for 50 bucks. And it lasted a fraction of that amount of time. So I believe in value. I also believe in giving people something that they couldn't otherwise get from Barstool or elsewhere. In whatever product we launch, enable our audience to be closer to us as part of that process. What do you got, Olivia? Before you had mentioned that somebody's always in the office, Mm -hmm. but as a follower of the company... It seems like a very relaxed and relevant space. So how do you keep the focus in such a relaxed and chill environment? We're not super (laughs) relaxed and chill, so I'm glad we seem that way. We understand what our audience likes and will think is funny. And this is a very young company. So most of our people are very young. They're also people who, for the most part, have never worked in anyone else's system. So people are trained in our system, which is to post constantly to understand the internet and dark places of the internet and funny places of the internet and mainstream places of the internet. 
I think that all that matters in content is your frame of reference, because that's how you avoid commoditization. And we have done that. So it's not corporate. I mean, you'll look outside this podcast room and most guys are in like dirty t-shirts and sweatpants. And most of the shirts they're wearing are barstool because they've either bought them themselves or they've borrowed it from someone around here. So and there's some women out there who's working There as well. are. We yeah. have about 10%, a little bit over 10% of our workforce is female in like less dirty t-shirts and, you know, something <laughs> better than sweatpants. But I think we're true and we think what we post is funny. Even when we work with brands, we want to bring brands into the world we know versus creating a world that's artificial for brands. Music. Okay. Emergency press conference. It is a couple hours before kickoff. The Patriots are getting ready to go to the Super Bowl yet again. Yet again. And what did we do? Yeah, I know. I like Blake Bortles. I'm a friend of Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles, great guy. We're going to kick his teeth and he has no chance. Here's the thing. Once again, we booked not one, but two houses in Minnesota. Months ago, I said, get us the houses. They said, Dave, what if the Patriots don't go to the Super Bowl? I said, guess what? We always go to the Super Bowl. Guess who's sponsoring? Not one, two houses. Bud Light. Bud Light will be the sponsor this year. You name it, you'll be seeing us drinking. We got like 20, 25 people coming out. We're going to be everywhere in Minnesota. The Patriots, Barstool. It's a tradition like none other during this week. So I would say it's very true. You know, a good example is we have 20 intern seats every summer. And last summer, we had 6,000 kids apply. We source most of our talent, and we choose people, guys and girls, who understand the brand, who are hungry like we are, who have the ethos of Barstool and want to work to make this company better. And it just kind of flows from there. It's a tribe. It's a tribe. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question? But let's get into it a little bit. So 10% of the employees are female. Mm -hmm. What's the audience look like? Audience looks like... Dave would call them the silent majority. So, you know, we have, if you look at our total reach across every medium, you know, you're somewhere between 37 and 50 million people. Men and women, predominantly men, historically from the Northeast and Boston is the epicenter of Barstool. Dave talks about this often, and I completely agree, which is if you were to talk about what the single most influential media brand in Boston is for young people, it's Barstool Sports. And I think we're starting to build that nationally. Adding Pat McAfee was a great move for us and for him in, you know, really putting a foothold of someone who's from the Midwest. So our audience, I think it ranges from 14-year-olds to 49-year-olds. It varies by medium. Social is very young, far more balanced from a male-female split. Podcasts age up a bit. The blog is far more predominantly East Coast than any of our other assets. So I think there's a commonality of Barstool of people who aren't generally PC, people who want to root for a company that came from nothing, and people who want something to escape and to find a laugh. What I like about us is we can do that for you in Instagram, we can do that for you on Twitter if that's your platform of choice, or we can do it for you in more long-form content. And you produce a ton of user-generated content. Yeah, I mean, we produce 180 pieces of content a day seven days a week. So we produce a lot of content. We also are the go-to brand when 
stuff happens at college. I mean, we created 250 what we call Viceroy accounts, which are college accounts last fall. So we have Barstool Clemson and Barstool UMass and Barstool Duke, et cetera, Barstool UNC. So we also are a feeding ground for things that are happening with young people. And you know, we're the media platform of choice when they want to share what's happening at their school, at the big game, at a frat party, whatever. Well, the content itself I want to talk about because the content you described is funny. Mm-hmm. It's authentic, mm-hmm. right? It's truth yeah. in a lot of ways. But some people have said it's sexist. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? Sure. And also, what are the lines? What are the barriers? Yeah. What are the guidelines that you put in place or that you think should be put in place, if any, to make sure it doesn't kind of cross the line? Yeah, I think there's two things. So there's Barstool today, and then there's, so I'm sure we'll get into the ESPN conversation, is Barstool for the last 12 years is a grab bag of people who could be offended by a take that these guys had. This company, Dave created it as a newspaper and then as a blog, and part of that is first-person perspective on what he thought was interesting or funny or his personal opinion. I don't think our content is sexist. I do see how our content, A, can offend people, or B, it's just not for you. Like, I look at my peer set, most of them are not on Barstool Sports. I like Barstool. I'm a woman, obviously, because Barstool, to me, relates to a sense of humor that I grew up with, is emblematic of the way most guys I know talk or think or used to act or still act. So I think there's something infinitely relatable to Barstool. I also think there's something infinitely human We have a pretty good sense of the guardrails. That's not to say we don't step out of them. And Dave does, I think, a pretty great job of finding that line and towing it. You know, our main guys and our core guys are pretty good. They know what to say. They know what to avoid. And when we've had instances where that hasn't been what we publish, we're pretty quick to manage it. Okay, so Olivia, what do you follow from Barstool? I think I just follow the main Instagram account. Okay. Do you like it? Yeah, I like it. It's funny. Do your girlfriends like it? My best friend follows One Bite and she raves about it yep. because they once reviewed a pizza place that we're at all the time. Okay. Yeah, she tells everyone. Yep. One Bite, everyone knows the rules. We try them all in Manhattan. We're at Saba's. Uh, little shout out for the people back home. Back home's obviously Boston. This looks like Pinot pizza. The way they're even hitting the dough kind of looks like Coolidge Corner. Pinot, shout out to my peeps back home. Um, all, the, all the players and the hooligans. One bite, everybody knows the rules. Uh, Saba. Yep. Oh, yeah. A really good slice. What's going on? I think we're getting sniped here, Frankie. One bite, everybody knows the rules. Saba. Really good pizza. Tastes exactly like peanuts. I wouldn't be surprised they had some relationship with Pinos. That's how good I am at doing pizza. I bet Saba and Pinos came up together in the pizza game. But Eric is asking you a good question, which is, would you listen to the content? Do you find it authentic or funny? And one of the things that I ask Olivia, and we have another daughter, Sarah, you know, it's very important that they come into this professional world and feel empowered mm-hmm. and accomplished. And I said, do you ever feel in any way after the Battle of Sexes movie, I asked them, or some other, you know, obviously things going on today that we're all focused mm-hmm. on. Do you in any way feel disadvantaged? And what's your answer? I wouldn't say that I feel disadvantaged, particularly because I feel like most of the disadvantage happens in the workforce with a pay gap and how women are treated in the office and stuff related to that. But I do feel as if 
the whole movement of feminism has taken a huge, huge advance in the past few years, probably due to social media. There's been a lot of exposure and movements and festivals and fundraisers and things of that sort. And I feel as though Barstool Sports handles it well because if you want to bring awareness through something, especially to people my age and maybe a little bit older, a little bit younger, you need to do it in a way that is not too serious and is not too scary. And companies like Barstool Sports or Comedy Central really capture that idea and probably give it the right exposure. So I think you guys don't cross the line. I think it's important that companies like yours don't cross the line because people are really influenced by you guys. I love that. Like, I'm excited for you because you're going to have a career and a start to your career that's so different than how I started mine. One of the things, I am really fiercely protective of Barstool, and I catch a lot of flack for that. But the reason I am is that when I started my career, I was so hungry and I was curious and I got a lot of good advice and a lot of really bad advice, but I felt like I had to go a really traditional path. And I think that the self-confidence and opportunity that you're going to have when you're 18 or 19 is awesome. I think that women have been fighting for that for so long. Like my mother would be so psyched to hear you say that. And I'm psyched to hear you say that. The reason that I'm so protective of Barstool is that I've been sexually harassed in the workplace. I have had more opportunity than some and less opportunity than others because I was a woman or for whatever reason. But for me, the thing that I didn't like was that in big companies and historically, everything was so insidious. It wasn't ever talked about. Like, it was opaque. What I think is happening in the women's movement right now is that, like, it's all out there. The Golden Globes, everyone's in black and talking about Time's Up is so radical. But what I love about Barstool is that it is so out there that there's nothing insidious because there's nothing hidden. And I think it's culturally very important. If 20 years ago or 25 years ago when I was really starting my career, if things were more out there... I don't know if I would have arrived to this place or a different place or a better place or whatever. But I think the idea that the Internet has broken something about how things should be done and what should be said and what norms are is one of the reasons why I love the Internet. And I think your generation is going to do something with that that's incredible. You will. Well, our generation is not through just yet. Yeah, no, we (laughs) still got a little fight in us. So I'm applying to college in a year or so. And I believe that the dynamic of Barstool is where most people my age would like to take their careers. And I just wanted to know what's your advice for young women like me or people in my age range on finding and choosing career paths? Great question. So I think you can do whatever you want and you should never take a job because somebody else says, like, this is what you should do, Olivia. I think that you should intern and experiment and touch as many things as humanly possible and find out what actually interests you. Like when I started my career, I interned at Fidelity Investments. I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. I like hustled up and took a bunch of business classes and I was like, I'm never going to be a lawyer. And I think the faster you can make that discovery process, the better. 
I also think you have to not be too hard on yourself about you don't know. You know, I got a liberal arts education. I loved it. I learned how to write. I learned how to think critically. I had a ton of fun. I played a lot of sports. College is an incredible time of your life. But I also think you should do, I say this all the time, but you should do something that scares you. Like you should get into something that you don't feel totally qualified for. Then it's on you to deliver. But mostly I think you have to be true to yourself about what interests you. And then how do you get to be the best at that? And what are the jobs or the opportunities that present themselves and the people? It's better to work in a job that isn't exactly right or a company that you may or may not ever want to work for if you could work for someone incredible who will give you a chance to shine and grow and give you the feedback you need to be better. And then I think just to be true, you know, what I love about Dave's story is Dave had a very good sales job and was like, nope, I want to write under a bunch of pseudonyms and create a newspaper that I'm going to hand out in an Astro van every day. I wish as a woman that I felt that confident when I was 23 years old or however old, 25 years old. And that's what you have the opportunity to be as confident. Thank you. Erica, we have to address a little bit of the elephant in the room and sure. talk about ESPN. Sure. So for our listeners, Barstool launched a TV show on ESPN, Barstool Van Talk, uh, last October, late October, mm -hmm. that was canceled after just a month, largely. A week. A week, yeah. which was canceled just after an episode one yeah. week, uh, due to outcry from ESPN anchors and other folks on social media. You can now reflect a couple months later on what happened. Would you have done anything differently how do you feel now sort of sitting in a position where there's a lot that's also happened at ESPN since mm -hmm. last, last October? The CEO of ESPN has stepped down. You know, there's been some management changes there. I mean, how do you look and reflect on what happened last October? I think it's very obvious why ESPN came looking for us. And I think that Barstool is a triple threat in that we have the IP. We own the IP. We market it. We have our own marketing and distribution platform, and we oversee, in large part, our own production. In this case, we worked with Michael Davies and Embassy Row, who are infinitely talented. But we're a triple threat, and I understand why traditional networks or cable brands come looking for us. Dave and I were actually talking about this fairly recently, and if I had a chance to do it over, I wouldn't have done it differently. I would have had the same thing play out. It was heartbreaking, don't get me wrong. Like I spent eight years of my life trying to strike that partnership, and it was uncomfortable the entire time. And I think at the end of the day, ESPN wanted the cool factor of Barstool and the vibrancy of our audience and the genius of PFT and Dan Katz, who are two of our best guys. And I think that they delivered a show that was unlike anything on television. You know, I think the tragedy of it is that was a great show that I wished had the chance to live and grow. I think they did a brilliant and masterful job of it. The reason I wouldn't have changed anything is that the day after that show was canceled, outside of it being devastating, I have never seen Barstool sports morale higher, and I've never seen our stoolies or our audience man up for us the way that they had. And granted, I've been here a very short time in the history of Barstool, but I don't regret having tried it. I spent last year experimenting to see if we could live on other people's air. When I got to Barstool, we had no formal relationship with any social platform or any media platform. And we set about Facebook and live 
We did the Comedy Central special, which was pretty incredible for our first time on television. We did the serious partnership, obviously, and then then ESPN. So do I wish Van Talk was still running today? Absolutely. Am I glad that I didn't spend 20 weeks thinking to myself that we could exist with a mainstream brand that wasn't completely comfortable with us? I'm happy that I have that time back and that will change what we do and how we do it. It was a great learning experience. Yes, yeah, 100%. A lot of Barstool's time so far does seem like a learning yes. experience, yeah. I, I would say, if I'm putting your words in your mouth or just my perception. Yeah. And when you took the job, mm-hmm. and I know Betsy was uh, very helpful, mm-hmm. and, and I give Dave a lot of credit for making you the CEO of mm-hmm. Barstool, what did your friends say? What did your colleagues oh, say? Yeah. What did your constituents say? What was the, I would say, the feedback or the brushback? Yeah, So to the startup, to the entrepreneurial thing and learning, there's a great Winston Churchill quote that basically is that the difference between successful people and not successful people is just being able to fail constantly. And that to me is we are learning constantly and failing constantly and building from that. I don't think there's anything better in life. And that's why I love being here. When I agreed to join Barstool and I was thrilled about it, I was met with a lot of backlash personally, professionally. I was unprepared for two things. One is that I was not public when I joined here, and there's no difference between being private or on the business side and public at Barstool. So just connecting with Barstool fans was very new to me and shocking at the outset. It was more hurtful, I think, the reaction to me joining Barstool. And personally, I chose to look at it that I had burnt every bridge, traditional bridge that I had walked in on, and I was on this, and this has to be successful. And I loved that. Like, I could never go back. I could never look back. And a year and a half into it, I would never want to. But it was hard. It was hard because there's a lot of judgment about what Barstool had been and where Barstool had come from and on me for choosing to be a part of it. I also felt that to Dave's credit and to the Chernin guy's credit, they gave me a chance that nobody else would have given me. I'm really appreciative of that and grateful for it. And I take it really seriously. I don't think about my gender at work every day. I don't ever think about it. But when I go into groups of women and professional women, it's weird. I'm an interloper. I'm not part of what's happening. And I think that that's one of the things that I don't like about the women's movement to date is that it's very prescriptive on what you should do. And I don't like that. So it's uncomfortable. And undefined, right? There's not a playbook for it. And what makes you so special and unique in the job that you're in is no one's done it before, right? You took such an unprecedented risk in leaving a history of very established traditional media companies to take an unusual job and make an unusual company highly successful and highly public. Mm -hmm. And that's hard. Yeah. What I love about Barstool, though, is it's the highest IQ, EQ company I've ever been a part of. And it is just hungry and curious. And to me, that makes any shrapnel that comes from having chosen this. That's fine. But what I love is that I think that what we're touching is the heart of what the future is. I think that this company is what companies 10 years from now are going to look like on a human resources scale, on an organization and management scale. I think we are touching something that people aren't even seeing yet. 
And for me, the chance to chart that is just super interesting and makes that I don't fit in in the girls club the way I used to. Like, I'm okay with that. Yet you still have to, in spite of the quality of the content and the types of content, make Barstool as a CEO or a ultimate manager of human resources a great place to work yep. for everybody. Yep. If you can do it here, then certainly CEOs of Fortune 100 companies should be yeah, able to do it. Yeah, should be right? able to do it, 100%. And I would stand by our culture every day. Like, we have a very responsible, ethical, hardworking, deeply committed to one another culture for women, for men, for people of color, for kids right out of college, for people who've been in their career for 20 years. Like, I I love our culture and I think we make it better every day and we're always working on it. One of the things I like about Barstool is we're just very self-critical. And I think that being self-critical just helps you be better I think a large part of why companies don't change or things like Olivia and I were talking about and just in terms of opportunity for women or harassment or whatever is that people aren't honest with themselves about what's happening. And we are very honest with ourselves. I know we spoke a lot about you being a woman in the company. Do you ever get tired of speaking about it and like say to yourself, why isn't it just normal? Why isn't it just go with the tide? Why isn't it what it is? That's a good question. I don't get sick of it because I think it's necessary. And I think that I am in service of Barstool Sports and a vision that Dave and the chairman and guys and I have for Barstool. And if that means explaining what it's like to work here and why we're not a bunch of cretins from like the <laughs> underbelly of the internet, like then that's what I will do. I wish people saw it without judgment and for how incredible it is and how odds-defying what we have created has become. I wish people saw that, but it doesn't matter. So no, I don't get sick of it. I spend my days building something and tweaking it and learning from where we screwed up and trying things. Do you ever wish that the industry wasn't so hypocritical? I think the industry is one part hypocritical, another part just ignorant. It's what I said in the beginning, which is I think that the people who run companies are very, very far away from the person they created it for. And there's a lot of self-rationalization in the process, Mm -hmm. that kernel of what the truth is or what's actually happening by the time it gets into a C-suite has been softened so much that problems aren't portrayed as problems. From here on out, I hope I have the good fortune to only be part of companies who understand their consumer or their customer if it's a B2B company. And I think that the internet has shortened the distance between things. And I think companies are too over-architected. Even big digital companies are over-architected in their ability to listen to that and adapt to it and respond to it. I also think that companies are clouded by virtue of how they make money. And when you are a media company and you only make money through advertising, your customer is not your consumer. Your customer is the advertiser. Your customer is your advertiser. That's just a very different customer. Absolutely. Well, that's why having multiple revenue streams is very helpful. (laughs) Commerce being one of them. All day long. All day long. When you ask people about their customers and they talk about advertisers, you just understand the orientation of the company. And from my vantage point, you know, one of my biggest takeaways after the ESPN thing and in general is, hey, nobody's coming to help Barstool Sports. Like, let's just be honest about that. Like, there's no one. The cavalry is not coming. In fact, they're going the other way. (laughs) And so the only choice I have is to build as strong a business as possible underneath what I think is an 
awesome audience and a brand that means something, that's what we will keep doing. But I think you only can do that and get away with that because you're self-corrective. Correct. Because you are telling everyone outside of the company that you're going to be making corrections and learning Mm -hmm. and continuing to get better, Mm -hmm. that will lead to enhanced credibility and trust. And therefore, I think people will get more open-minded about it. I think you have to earn your way into that, right? Every day. And don't get me wrong. like We make it so hard for our audience. So hard. They're hard on us, and they should be when we get it wrong. And I love that. We are deeply self-corrective. We're also, to your point, just unafraid. When we bought Rough and Rowdy, most people we talked to deeply questioned that decision. But Dave saw something and felt something, and I believed in something from a business point of view, and we made it happen. So there's something so delicious and addictive about the internet in general that you can fall into anything instantly. Our company, we don't fall per se, but we're running headlong into something in that same way. It's fun, and it's interesting, and it's challenging, and... That's why I think we're so different. And how big could Barstool get? How valuable could it be? I think that's a great great question, and maybe you should tell me that. I don't think we will ever be as big as we could be because we will want to stay true to who we are. So could this be a $100 million revenue company, 200, 500, a billion? There is a path where you could see Barstool be ascendant and displace very traditional brands for men or for sport or comedy or entertainment. I don't think we'll ever do anything that doesn't feel organic. This isn't a company that understands inorganic growth at all. Just imagine that of anyone who works in the internet. I think we will grow as big and as far as we can find audience who deeply resonates with our voice. We're not going to be Bleacher Report. We're not going to be ESPN. Could we create incredible value off of who we are? Absolutely. It also depends on how much the world changes around Correct. you. Correct. Yeah, 100%. Last year at this time versus this year, the world has changed, and it will change again. For media, for women, for All politics, of it. for Everything. technology. Culturally, on so many levels, you know, you look at the erosion of audience in traditional platforms is accelerating you look at the gamesmanship that this is just media, like let alone women and culture and politics. The sands are shifting. They're changing systematically. Dave used to describe in 2006 or seven would get offers to do link baiting. And he would say to himself, well, why would I do that? Because if I have 100 people, I can sell 100 T-shirts. And What is link baiting? Just... Or just like, hey, we'll give you a traffic share. Or oh, got it. you can get 100x the amount of traffic to Barstool Sports as you have now by putting this widget on here. Barter. Barter. Yeah. Paying for audience. Network, being part of a network. And Dave was always like, if I don't know how many people I have and if they're not real people, I can't sell T-shirts to them. And to me, that was one of the most genius things Dave said. And has set us up for where we are now, which is it's real people. Right. And and you're also so unbelievably platform agnostic and your audience is so forgiving of any technical problems you've had on mm-hmm. Facebook or Twitter, right? Erica, you and I have talked about on election night, on mm-hmm. the big debate nights where you started live streaming on Facebook, it crashed. You sent everybody over to Twitter, they went over to Twitter, it crashed on Twitter, they went back to Facebook. I mean, that's very, very rare mm-hmm. on the internet to have an audience so devoted that they will jump between platforms just to see you and forgive you for technical glitches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like 
I get mad at us about it. And sometimes I think we tread a little thin on that, whether it's for our commerce business and our ability to ship orders out in a timely fashion, which we're not particularly good at. In the case of the Facebook pieces, who knew you weren't supposed to go Facebook Live for five hours, which is what we did and then brought a ton of traffic to it. Maybe we used it You were wrong. not warned beforehand. Yeah, we, but, you know, it's also just part of the story. Fans call it the barstool difference, where today we broke serious XM servers. It, Be- because of the content, yeah. Because of the content, because of the volume of people. We did the rough and rowdy pay-per-view in the middle of December. We crashed the technology because we brought so many people so quickly, and they're rabid to get it. We have to fix that <laughs> stuff. I love those problems. We feel a huge responsibility for it. And that's the difference when I was at Yahoo or Microsoft or AOL or Demand or any of them. You never really thought about the person reading the article or watching the video or going to the site. You didn't have any direct relationship with them. Our audience is way more demanding than that and way more invested in that. And we have to be better as a result. We need to make good choices and make it easier for our audience. Well, Erica, I can see exactly why Dave chose you for the job. And I can see why you are perfectly situated to take on the complexity of what it means to be a CEO of a media company in today's day and age, and more so in your case. So I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. And thanks for joining us on KinderCast. Awesome. Thank you for having me. And nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I hope you enjoyed our show today. If you want to check out any prior episodes of Kindred Cast, you can listen, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Kindred Cast for behind-the-scenes photos and info. Keep listening and see you next time. Audiation.